the depths, from the heights, I will bring a sacrifice. And with these hands lifted high, you hear my song, hear my cry, I will bring a sacrifice. I will bring a sacrifice. Longview Point Faith family and guests. We are glad that you are checking in with us this Sunday morning for a time of worship and a time in the Word. My name is Jason Ford and I'm the missions pastor here at the Point and just want to welcome you and let you know of a couple of announcements before we continue with worship and some teaching from God's Word this morning. Hey, next Sunday, we are going to have our parking lot service move to the back of the church area by the lake, and we are going to get to enjoy some outside worship. We're going to have an outdoor baptism at the lake. That'll be a wonderful time to gather and to celebrate 
that baptism together. It's also a great opportunity for you as a family to come out and spread your blanket, bring your lawn chairs, bring the kids, and be outside that day for our outdoor worship service by the lake. But if your health is compromised or you don't feel comfortable being in that outdoor setting, we will also still be transmitting with our FM uh, radio station that we do right there. And so you can choose to remain in your car that day. But uh, as we gather together, we just want you to feel safe and comfortable. So we will have that opportunity for you to stay in your car. Or if you want to bring a blanket and bring your chairs and spread out on the grass there by the lake, we've got a lot of room for you to come and join with us on Sunday, June the 7th for that baptism service outside. And again, throughout the month of June, we won't be having uh, child care offerings as we gather back together. Beginning on June the 14th, we're going to be meeting here in this space and having our worship services in person again starting June the 14th. We're so excited about that. We won't be having uh, child care offerings uh, throughout the month of June, but this Sunday, June the 7th, man, it would be a great time to bring the kids, the whole family, put out those blankets and come and worship as a family together. So we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. Also, uh, you know, we want to stay connected with you uh, as guests, as our faith family. We want to stay connected with you through prayer, uh, through communication. One way that you can communicate with us is through prayer at longviewpoint.org. We as a church staff, as pastors here, count it a privilege to pray for you on a regular basis. And if there are specific needs, uh, requests, um, things that you're celebrating uh, that we could lift up to the Lord together, please let us know through that venue of prayer at longviewpoint.org. We want to stay connected with you in that way. And I would encourage you to continue to uh, check in with the church website and through social media so that you can be informed as we do begin opening some things back up like our Celebrate Recovery and our Fostering Hope Ministry as we move towards opening those things. I would encourage you to stay connected and keep in touch through our social media as well as our website. So again, we're just glad that you are gathered with us this morning in this venue to worship the Lord who is worthy of worship. He's worthy of all our praise and our hearts and our minds. And I pray that this morning that you are renewed, you're encouraged, you're refreshed by the teaching of God's Word. Let's go to Him in prayer right now before we continue. Heavenly Father, it is good to come into Your presence. It is good to come before God who is full of grace and mercy and loving kindness towards His people. And so, Lord, I pray today, as your word is taught, as we lift our voices to you, that your name would be greatly blessed and our hearts would be greatly encouraged. Father, this is your time. I pray that you would allow us to set aside distractions, anxieties, stresses, whatever may be pulling on our hearts and minds, and allow us to focus on you and your goodness, your greatness, your loving kindness. Lord, this time is yours. Use it for your good work, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then 
sings my soul, my Savior God, to fresh air, seeing the sunshine, Lord, even the rain that falls, Lord, you, you are the creator of all things. Lord, you, you knitted us together in our mother's womb. You have a plan for each individual. And Lord, this morning, I just pray that we would answer the call Lord, those that maybe don't know you, that may be watching this morning, they would feel that tug from your Holy Spirit, the invitation to be a child of the living God, because indeed you are great. You can be trusted. You can be counted on. You are our Savior. You give life. You are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, 
to love, no greater love, grace, how can it be, that in my sin, yes, even then, he shed his blood for me, for the blood of Jesus washes me, for the blood of Jesus shed Viewpoint. I hope that you're well where you are. I want to encourage you now as you gather around television screens and smartphones and computer screens to lay aside any distractions that uh, might present themselves. Gather families and uh, prepare yourself for the study of God's Word this morning. We're going to look this morning at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. This will be our final installment in our series here in the epistle of 1 John. Here at the end of 1 John, the closing instruction of the Apostle John is a word focused almost exclusively on prayer. There are a number of uh, teachings in this passage, but uh, the major emphasis here is the idea of prayer. So after everything that John has said to the church concerning standing in a difficult and dark age, being light in a dark world, uh, preaching truth in an age of a great falsehood, his closing admonition is to be a people focused on prayer. There is a, a line of thought, a teaching, an argument to be made uh, that what John says here in verses 14 through 21 are the last words chronologically in the New Testament. So potentially, the last words of the New Testament are a, a words focused on calling us to uh, the discipline of, of prayer. I wonder how your prayer life is. Uh, this morning as we uh, set out to study this passage together, I, I, I think it would be good if we gave an honest evaluation of ourselves and where our personal prayer lives are. Usually it's the busyness of our schedule that stands as our chief excuse as to why we don't spend more time than we spend in prayer, but we've watched that excuse uh, vaporize over the past several weeks as virtually all of us have been uh, limited from activities that we would have otherwise been involved in over the past several weeks. We uh, by far have uh, adequate time to spend in prayer and I would uh, encourage you that it's absolutely essential that we do spend time in prayer for all of the reasons and more that John has discussed here in 1 John. If you're going to stand in a difficult and dark age it's going to be because you are attuned with the Spirit of God, the work of God's Spirit within you through the discipline of prayer. If you're going to be a person who speaks truth in a dark and deceitful age, it's going to be because you are in step with the work of God's Spirit uh, through the discipline of prayer. I cannot overstate to you this morning the value of prayer. Now there are some challenging passages, verses, within the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, we'll work through those as we come to them. I think they're much simpler than what uh, they may seem at uh, first glance, but the focus here is a call to the church to give ourselves over to the discipline of prayer. Look with me at 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14. 
John says, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that doesn't bring death, he should ask and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't bring death, there is a sin that brings death or there is sin that brings death. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin that doesn't bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. In the closing verse, John says, little children, that expression of endearment that John uses so often, guard yourselves from idols. Note first in verses 14 and 15, John instructs the church to pray in accordance with God's will, to pray God's will. Verse 14 says again, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is coming off of verse number 13 where John says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 13 itself has a ring of confidence. Not that we might feel that we have eternal life or have a clue or some hints that we have eternal life or even the hope or the prospect of eternal life. John says, I have written these things in order that you may know with certainty that you have eternal life. This idea of confidence continues into verse 14 in very obvious ways. This is the confidence that we have before Him. That whenever we ask anything of Him, when we pray according to His will, He hears us. Now what does it mean to pray God's will? There are certain aspects of God's will that are mysterious to us. There are directions, choices that we have to make in life that may not be as crystal clear as others, but I'm convinced that when we major on what we know concerning God's will as expressed in the scripture, that so many of the other things take care of themselves. There'll be choices that you have to make um, where there's just not book, chapter, and verse that says, take this job, buy this house, make this decision, enter into this relationship. They're just not clear-cut black and white verses that say, you should on this day make this life decision that will change the direction of your life. But there are precepts, principles, and commands in God's Word that give us a framework with which to make those decisions. How am I motivated to make this decision? What is that uh, would, would lead me to make this decision? What is, what is it that would prevent me from making this particular decision in life? We have all of the resources necessary in order to make those decisions that are brought before us by the will of God as expressed in the scripture. John says, when we ask according to his will, he hears us. That is, we're praying in a manner that is consistent with the will of God, praying in a manner that's consistent with the plan and the purpose of God for our life. A number of, of very obvious ways that we can pray in a manner that's consistent with God's will. Praying for the salvation of the lost. Uh, we, we ought to have people that we're praying for on a consistent basis that God would intervene in their life, that God would use us to intervene in their life, that they would come to know Jesus as the Savior of their life. Praying that God would embolden us to do the work of ministry. You know, in the New Testament, when the difficulties came, it wasn't that the church so much prayed that the difficulties would be removed. That's kind of our approach in the 21st century. In the first century, the church prayed that God would give them boldness in the face of the difficulty that they were experiencing. Praying that God would give us great boldness in ministry. Even praying for the healing, the, the health and the well-being of 
of the church itself. That, that doesn't always come to pass in ways that we might have in mind as we ask God to bring about healing and life and restoration. But surely for the believer, there is always the hope of a brighter tomorrow. Our healing will invariably come, whether it be in this age or in a life that is to come in the presence of our Savior, Jesus. There are obvious examples of ways that we can pray in a manner that's, that's consistent with the will of God for us. One of the most helpful ways to ensure that you are praying the will of God is to immerse yourself in the Scripture utilizing a, a discipline that is referred to often as praying the Bible, finding a passage of Scripture, beginning to read through, and then being prompted to pray about a particular issue or area of your life by that passage itself, praying in a manner that's consistent with the structure and, and the teaching of that particular text ensures that you're praying God's will. You know, in order for this to come naturally, in order for this to be a fluid thing for us that we're able to pursue, not just in the prayer closet, not just in those formal times of prayer, times when we've set apart time to isolate ourselves from others and give ourselves over to prayer, for this to be something that we can do without ceasing, we must immerse ourselves in the Word of God so that we might know the God of the Bible so that we understand His character, so that we know who He is, what His plan, what His purpose is, His attributes, His character, the power that He yields over all the earth. This is the confidence that we have before Him, that knowing God as we do, we may make request of Him in accordance with His will, and He hears us, the Bible says. Verse 15 says, And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask Him for. We know that He hears us. We know that He grants our petition. It's almost a side note in the Gospels as the Bible speaks of Jesus' death and the tearing of the veil in the temple from top to bottom. But that side note, what may seem incidental to the English reader, must have been incredible. It must have been a lightning bolt in the hearts of Hebrew readers who understood the veil stands between us and the immediate presence of a holy, holy, holy God. We have gained access to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus. Not only do we have our salvation through Jesus, not only do we have access in the sense that it's through Jesus that we will enter into heaven, that we'll enter into everlasting life in its fullness, it is furthermore through Jesus that we have access to the Father now. There's so much misunderstanding about prayer in our day and age. It's as though we feel that prayer is a right that we all enjoy as human beings that access to God, that the discipline of prayer is something that every person, every man, woman, boy, and child can enjoy. But the reality is that prayer is not a right. It is a privilege that has been bought and paid for at an incredible price. That apart from the intercessory work of Jesus, apart from Jesus as our mediator, apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, we have no access to God whatsoever. It is the work of Jesus that makes it possible that our meager prayers muttered or shouted from earth are heard in heaven. It's because of what Christ has done for us. So much so that John can say here with confidence, not in some meaningless uh, Twitter post, not in some rambling Facebook post with no biblical or eternal bearing whatsoever, but God's Word says John gives expression to the reality that with certainty, not because we've imagined it in our own mind or something that we've come up with or because it's popular within the culture, with absolute biblical certainty, John says that as the people of God, because of what Jesus has done for us, when we pray according to God's will, God in heaven hears us and is pleased to grant our request. John teaches us here to pray God's will. Secondly, John teaches us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 16. 
John says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. Now let's unpack that for just a moment. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that doesn't bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him. Now, we'll address this idea of a sin that brings about death in the following verse, but for now, it's sufficient to note that what John is teaching us to do, what John is instructing us to do, and it's completely consistent with what he says in, in the previous text in 1 John, is to look and observe, and when we see our brothers and sisters struggling with sin, when we see them beginning to waver, when we see them beginning to make compromises in their life, when we, when we begin to see them wandering from the fold of God, to pray for them, and that God would answer our prayer on their behalf by restoring them to full faith and fellowship, to look around for the sin sufferers within our congregation, within your network, within your circle of influence, for brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin, and to lift them up and to pray for them fervently. Now, there are two sides to the coin of our great weakness in this area. On the one side, um, we tend to be focused in other areas when it comes to prayer. Personal, material, financial needs, or physical needs that really don't take in our society a lot of humility to share with other people. Like we're perfectly comfortable with uh, sharing uh, less personal things that are happening in our life, as personal as health issues might be. Those are the kind of things that we're typically very comfortable with sharing. And a part of that comes from the fact that usually those things are happening uh, with no fault of our own. They're just things that unfold in our life. They're the consequence of living in a sin-struck and, and fallen world. And so we share those and we pray about those needs and we're uh, quick to pray about those sorts of needs and the experiences of other brothers and sisters and even those who are outside of, of the family of faith. And the other side of that coin is, um, personally, we don't share about our sin. We, we're not comfortable because, again, that strikes a little closer to the heart and uh, there are pride issues that begin, begin to enter in. So not only are we not praying for those around us who may be involved in some manner of sin, but at the same time, we're not really comfortable often with sharing the sin struggles in our own life. It's good, especially with, within the family, as much as is possible, with an accountability partner, with someone that you trust, perhaps someone who even shares in some of those same struggles, but is willing to give you an honest appraisal of where you are and to deal in a very straightforward way with you, to share about your sin struggles and the needs that you have. This is what John calls us to do here. He says, pray for the, the needs uh, among the brothers and sisters, especially as it relates to overcoming the presence of sin in their life. Now let's take on verse 15. We'll come back to some of what's in verse 14 as it's necessary. And if we know that he who hears, verse 17 rather, the remainder of verse 16, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death, there is sin that brings death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't bring death. Now, here is this, here's what the sin that brings death is all about, in my estimation. There are competing theories, but I think this is pretty straightforward if we just read John as we would read him in any other passage in 1 John. The sin that brings death is undefined here, um, for a very good reason. In, in, in other words, it's not specific. It's not, if you do this, then that's the sin that brings death. What, John is not describing a scenario in which a person is losing their salvation. If anything is made clear in 1 John, it is that our salvation is sealed and secured forever by the blood of Jesus and through the work of God's Holy Spirit. The sin that brings death, the sin that leads to death, can be any sin that prevents a person from coming to faith in Jesus. Anything that would stand between them and Jesus Christ. Anything that would come between them and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within the framework of 1 John, it might be their hatred for other people. 
that might, that might be a sin that, that brings death because it prevents them from coming to faith. It, 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 might, it might be a love for false teaching or uh, giving themselves over to deception. It could be any number of things. It could be, in our day and age, uh, uh, substance abuse. It could be uh, addiction. It could be uh, a heart of hatred and, and vitriol. It could be any number of sins. It could be any number of sins. But it's the sin that leads to death that stands between an individual and their coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the sin, it's the vice that is valued over the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a, there's a very good reason why we cannot pray and, and expect that God would give uh, the power to overcome to people who are engaged in sin that leads to death because they're not born again. There is no overcoming sin apart from the work of regeneration in our heart. You understand that from birth, there is nothing good in us. We are broken. We are depraved. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. The only way that we can overcome the sin that so easily entangles us is by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we've overcome because of the gospel, but we're accustomed to the idea, the reality, practically, that sin still entangles and ensnares us. John says, when you see brothers or sisters being pulled back by sin, stumbling and struggling, pray for them. Pray for them. They've not sinned a sin that leads to death. They're true believers. They've not allowed that some sin, that some vice, some temptation come between them and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're true believers who are struggling with some sin. Pray for them. And God who gives life will give them life. But there's no instruction that we pray for the ability to overcome for those who've not come to faith in Jesus. For those who do not come to faith in Jesus will never overcome their sin. They'll, they'll never overcome the vices, the temptations, the struggles that entangle and ensnare them. Now, there are often times when those vices are exchanged for others. One addiction is laid down for a new addiction. There's something that must fill that God-shaped void in the lost human heart. But except a person come to faith in Jesus... There cannot and there will not be true victory over sin in that person's life. Now, John does not exclude the need to pray for those people to come to full faith and fellowship. Surely we should pray for the lost to come to faith in Jesus that they could have victory over that sin. But there should be no expectation that those who do not abide in Jesus by faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ would ever have any assured victory over sin whatsoever. John says in verse 17, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. All unrighteousness is sin, and what John is saying in the close of verse 17, there is sin that does not bring death, is that even for the believer who hasn't allowed that some vice, some temptation stand between him and Jesus, there is, there is sin, there's struggles, there are challenges that we face. John says, pray for brothers and sisters to stand fast and to be faithful. Now, I said earlier, all of our excuses of busyness and hectic schedules have been taken away with regards to prayer. I would challenge you to pray for your family, to pray for your small groups, your connect groups, to pray for your friends within the body, pray for the church staff, to pray for, for leadership within the church, to pray for brothers and sisters that God would give us victory over sin, that he would keep us faithful and holy and right before him, that we would walk worthy of our calling. John says, pray God's will, pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in verses 18 and 19, I think we might say, John, he teaches us to pray in light of the present reality. Listen to what John says in verses 18 and following. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, we've dealt with these issues in the past, the certainty with which John speaks, expecting a lot of the reader. And I want to go back and read into our verse 18 some commentary here. 
We know that everyone who has been born of God does not continue practicing sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We have victory. We have victory. Satan cannot touch us because we have been born of God by faith in Jesus. Now verse 19 says, We know that we're of God. And yet at the same time, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. We are living a contradiction, you understand. We are people of the truth who live in a place of great deception and falsehood. We are people of the light, and yet we've been called upon to live in a land of, of great darkness. We, we are pilgrims and sojourners here, abiding in a place that we do not belong, and yet we have been called upon to pursue the peace and the prosperity of the land in which we currently dwell. Our citizenship is in heaven, and yet we have been called upon to be good citizens in the place that God has planted us for the time being. We are a people who have been liberated from our bondage to sin, and yet we so frequently return to our slavish ways. We are a people who have been granted the gift of everlasting life, and yet we abide in this tent which is so touched and marred by the stain of sin and sickness and death is for us imminent in the earthly sense. We are a people who have been granted endless and absolute joy through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet we are well acquainted with sorrows and great difficulties in the here and now. You understand, we are a living, breathing, walking contradiction in that we have found our faith, life, and joy in Jesus Christ in a world that is strange and foreign to the world that is so tangible and so visible around us. John describes a scenario in which we are victorious in spite of the pains and the agonies of the battle that continues to rage around us. The victory for us has been secured. We are born of God by faith in Jesus Christ and consequently we are full heirs to the inheritance that awaits the Lord Jesus Christ. All has been made well the pains, the sufferings, and the agonies of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us in Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, we are operating, we have our existence within a world that is entirely under the sway of the evil one. It's a reminder that we have to be careful to look beyond what we so readily see, to look toward the finish line, to the author and the perfecter of our faith to a day when all the challenges and hardships of this life are a distant memory and all has been made well in Jesus. In spite of all of the promises of the gospel and the glory that awaits us, John is careful to take note of the difficulties that surround us. A holy generation set apart to God, called to dwell as salt and light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. John is not ignorant to the reality that sometimes things are very, very difficult. Now, he's writing into a very specific set of circumstances, but the same holds true for us today. That there are challenges and difficulties unique to your life, unique to our generation, unique to this time and moment in history, unique to the coronavirus, unique to stay-at-home orders, unique to where we are. There are very real challenges that face us. But these challenges in no way, shape, form, or fashion beset or withhold from us the treasures that we have through Jesus Christ. In, in prayer, we don't allow ourselves to drift off and forget about the present difficulties. Rather, it is that in prayer we look beyond the present difficulties to what awaits us in its fullness in Jesus Christ. And it's an opportunity for us to meditate on, to dwell on what we have in the present in spite of what seems so visibly wrong around us. Pray in light of the present reality. In the face of great hardship, seek the face of God. The last thing that John points us to in verses 20 and 21 
is an admonition to pray to the true God. Look to verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We know that Jesus has come and Jesus has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. Jesus has given us an understanding of who He is in order that we might know the true God of heaven. You remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16? He said, who do men say that I am? And Peter answers in a rare moment of wisdom and great insight, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Simon, you didn't figure this out on your own. This is not the product of intense study. This doesn't demonstrate the depth of your theological acumen. No, God has given you an understanding of who Jesus is. That's precisely what John describes in verse 18. Jesus, or verse 20 rather, Jesus has given us an understanding of who He is in order that we might know the true one, the Father who is in heaven. He continues, we are in the true one, that is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, the closing words of 1 John are, guard yourselves from idols. It seems misplaced at first reading, but in reality, it's, it's very well placed. John does this often throughout 1 John where he gives the positive and then he gives the negative. He says, do this and then don't do that. And he's certainly great with contrast. There's light and darkness, true and false. Uh, the living and the dead, all of these contrasts throughout 1 John and even in the Gospel of John. He, here, in the context of prayer, he has described for us who it is that God is, who Jesus is, and then warns us against idolatry. Now, if, if this is the last word in the New Testament chronologically, we are really far removed from issues of of idolatry in the traditional sense in the church. John's congregation would likely not have been given over to the worship of statues or objects as though they were gods. No, I think John has something in mind that's more along the lines of the kind of idolatry that's wrestled with in the Western world today. Now remember, John is writing in many respects motivated by these competing parties, one specific opposition group outside the church, challenging the truth of the gospel. They have their own idea of who Jesus is. They have their own concepts of who God is, those very different from the gospel teaching that the church had heard from the beginning, very different from the gospel teaching of the apostles themselves, and very different from the gospel teaching of Jesus. John says in verse 20, this is who God is. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit. His Son is Jesus Christ, the one who's given us understanding so that we may know the Father. It is through the Son that we know the Father by the work of the Spirit. We could unpack all that John has said concerning God in 1 John 1 through 5. And then he closes with, guard yourselves from idols. Any worship, any worship, no matter what it's called, no matter how it's named, no matter how cleverly it co-ops the language of the Bible, no, no matter how similar it may sound to Christianity, any worship that does not affirm the person and the character of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the person and the work of Jesus as divine and man who came and lived without sin, who died in our place, who rose again the third day. No matter how carefully it's crafted, no matter how close to Christianity it may sound, any worship that does not conform to the teaching of the Bible, that does not acknowledge the God of heaven is idolatry. It is an abomination. It is prohibited by the Scripture. 
and is precisely the thing that John warns against in the closing words of this epistle. He's not talking about Buddhism here. He's not talking about something along the lines of Islam, although that came much later. John is not talking about the worship of statutes or statues or creatures or anything of that sort. John is talking about worship according to a perverted version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship that would have utilized the name of Jesus that would have talked about the ministry and the experiences of Jesus, but would have been divorced from the power of the gospel because it denied so many of the essential foundational tenets of faith in Jesus Christ. Here at the end of the New Testament, there is already the urgent plea that we stand ready to give a defense of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints because there are many antichrists who have already gone out into the world. Brothers and sisters, I cannot caution you enough. And I think I'm more sensitive to this after the last several weeks of being exposed to so much of the church in the Western world through a variety of mediums, television and and online. So much of the fellowship of the church has broadened beyond the local assembly to something of the church universal because we've all been in isolation and connecting in a variety of different ways. And I want you to hear from me with all the love that I can muster in my heart and with all the sincerity that I have that I can join with the voice of the Apostle John this morning in saying to you with absolute certainty, there are many, many, many antichrists who have gone out into the world, and they are not far from us. And you must guard yourself against idolatry, far more cleverly packaged than statutes, or statues, or creatures, or anything along those lines that we might typically or traditionally associate with idolatry. You must guard yourself. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Know the God of the Bible. Know His Son, Jesus Christ, who wrapped Himself in flesh and came and dwelt in our midst who lived in absolute perfection, who gave His life sacrificially at the cross, who rose again the third day, the only one who could lay His life down and take it up again on our behalf that we might have by faith in Him life everlasting, life abundant. That Jesus... And that Jesus alone is worthy of the worship and the praise of every tribe and tongue and nation. Let's bow before Him in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word and for its truth. God, I join with the Apostle John this morning in asking that God, You would protect us, our hearts, our eyes, our minds, from idolatry. And God, help us to see through the thinly veiled deceptions of this world. Help us, Lord, to cherish Jesus, to accept no replacement. The psalmist said, My soul pants for the living God, the only God that will do. We are thirsty to drink at the fountain of the water of life, Lord. To worship you and to you and you alone. God, I pray that you would protect those under the sound of my voice from idolatry, from being swept up in deception. God, I, I pray here at the end of a series that is focused so heavily on examining our faith, that you would awaken those who are asleep in their self-deception, that you would help them to see their need for the gospel. Lord, help them to lay aside their religious practice and to simply come by faith through grace to Christ and to Christ alone. God, I pray for those who who may have been born again but have allowed themselves to be fearful and afraid because of a charge from the world or a misunderstanding of the gospel, Lord. They've been saved, but they continue to look to their works to validate that somehow, God. 
I pray that you would help them to know that our rest is in Jesus, that there's no cause for anxiety in us, that our hope is in Christ and his finished work on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to rest at ease in you. God, we ask these things in order that you might be glorified in us. Father, given what John has instructed us to do, I pray, Lord, that for those who have allowed themselves to drift prayerlessly, God, that you'd remind us of how sweet it is to dwell closely with you. And Lord, the idea of getting up in the morning and being together with you, the idea of walking with the God of heaven throughout the day, the idea of resting at night, drifting off to sleep with thoughts of your character, your work, who you are, and your watch care over us. I, I pray that the sweetness of fellowship with you would drive us to our knees in prayer, not out of a sense of burden or even discipline, God, but out of delight and gladness of heart that we get the opportunity to share fellowship with the God of heaven. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We ask these things in the name of and for the sake of the name, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you are well where you are. I hope that as the Lord works and moves in your lives, that you'll share the Lord's work with us as your pastors. We're anxious to hear about what God's up to in your life. Maybe this morning you have come to certain realizations. Maybe this morning you've stumbled across our broadcast and you have to come to terms with the fact that there's never been a moment in time in your life when you made a decisive faith commitment to follow Jesus. No one becomes a Christian by accident. It's not something that happens incidentally. I'll promise you, if you've become a Christian, it's a moment in time in your life that you'll absolutely never forget. You may not can take down the date, place, and time the way some can, but the changes that began to result in your life, you can see, and you can see them in drastic ways. If, if you've never turned away from your sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ, this morning, would you believe in Him? And if that describes you, where you are, would you reach out to us and let us know about how the Lord's at work in your life? Maybe you've believed during this season of quarantine, but you've yet to have the opportunity to follow through in believer's baptism. Share that with us. We'd love to talk to you about baptism and what that means, what it symbolizes, and even begin to set up an opportunity for you to answer the call of God on your life to repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. Maybe you've been visiting with us for some time. We've actually had a number of people, quite a, a good number, a healthy number of people who've become members of the Fellowship of Longview Point Baptist Church even over the past several weeks as we've been in this time of quarantine. Maybe you, you sense God calling you into the fellowship of this local assembly. We'd love to have you here as a part of our faith family. The numbers for our pastors or on the screen in front of you. You can call or reach out to any of us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request or wish to communicate an email, you can reach out to us at prayer at longviewpoint.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, just a, a quick reminder. I know Jason mentioned this in the welcome. This morning is the 31st, obviously, next Sunday. The 7th is the first Sunday in the month of June. We're going to be meeting for an outdoor service at the lake. Uh, you can still do drive-in. You'll have the opportunity to drive in and to park in the children's building parking lot if you choose to stay in your cars, and we'll be transmitting uh, on our FM uh, station. And uh, you can come and bring blankets and tents and lawn chairs and uh, sit out on the grass next to the lake, and we'll have a, a, a speaker system set up so that you'll be able to hear uh, there as well. We're not going to be providing child care in the month of June for sure. So if you have uh, small kids or you're worried about your family makeup being a disruption or it's just not something that you're ready to manage in the month of June in the worship center, this is a really good opportunity for us, uh, for you specifically, but for all of us to be back together uh, in, in this outdoor setting 
in a way that we feel is safe at this time. So I want to encourage you, take precautions. If you're immune compromised or not, not comfortable at this point, we totally understand and there's no pressure. But for those of you who have uh, small children, this goes for our family too, uh, it's an opportunity for us to be able to be outside and to not worry so much about wrangling children and to be able to worship and share fellowship uh, with the body. So be here on June the 7th for that. We'll have a baptism service in the lake at the end of that service. So I'm excited about that and looking forward to that. And then on June 14, we'll be back inside and you've received emails and uh, a video explanation as to how that's going to look beginning on June the 14th. Hey, you guys have a great day in Jesus. Can't wait to see you, so many of you, in person on next Sunday. God bless, and we'll see you soon.